0: Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Of Poetry Podcast with the poet Marlanda DeKine. Marlanda DeKine's debut full-length poetry collection, Thresh and Hold, is the winner of Hub City Press's 2021 New Southern Voices Poetry Prize and is forthcoming in March 2022. Marlanda DeKine's work has been published or is forthcoming in Oxford American Poetry Emergence Magazine, Be Stung, Anulet, Shuda Hashar Magazine, and elsewhere. They are the 2021-22 Castle of Our Skins Shirley Graham Du Du Bois Creative in Residence, a recipient of the 2022 Palm Beach Poetry Festival Langston Hughes Fellowship, a 2021 Tin House Scholar, and a Watering Hole Fellow. Currently, Marlanda serves as Healing Justice Fellow with Gender Benders and is working with the award-winning composer-performer collective, Counter, Induction, on a muso-poetic work entitled Ars Poetica. They are a graduate of Furman University, BA Psychology, and the University of South Carolina, Master of Social Work. They live in Georgetown, South Carolina with their amazing dog, Malachi. Hello and welcome, Orlando.
1: Hello, thank you, Han. Happy to be here. Would you
0: like to begin reading a poem for us? Sure. Thank
1: you. The Black River, whispered dreams, Spanish moss reached. When we moved back to where my parents grew up, I was eating more rice than I knew existed and I did not want to be, up and down. The village is known as Jackson Village Road. I didn't understand, home. Why people were speaking to me in, home. Stories telling me, home. Which of our dead, home. I resembled, home. So many cousins I had, home. And so many questions for God, I have never prayed home as much as I home home wonder home home
2: home. Thank you. And since um since this poem has a
0: uh really unique visual presence on the page. Would you like to describe it or did you want me to?
1: Well, I I could say, I guess what I could say about it is in the the middle, what I was hoping for is the Black River, the shape of the Black River um, and an exploration of what it meant to be back home and not really understanding many things. Um, So there's, there's a lot of questions in this poem and I think that that river is in the middle, um, like a visual expression of the question traveling. Mm. But I'm really curious about what you see too.
0: Mm, I really love that, um, because as soon as as soon as you say that, um, and I, you know, was thinking of the river and was thinking of banks, and also can't help thinking about contrapuntals because yes. there's something of that right here. Um, but that the, that the river is home, right? Um. But if a river is home, you know, a river is change, right? So there's like this whole like change of home going to, yeah.
1: Um, it yeah. makes me think of
0: Tyree Day's book, River Hymns, too.
1: Yes, yes, I love that book.
0: I was just waiting a sec because the audio flickered, um, but I mean, what it what it is to take on a river?
1: Yeah, I think whenever um, you know, sitting at the Black River after I came back home in 2019, there was something that I was trying to understand about what it means to be um, a human. What it means to be someone back near this body that's constantly changing, yet it's still. And when I think about my own ongoing process of self-embodiment that will never be done, <laughs> I, I find it um, comforting, I think. It's not so much an answer to my question, but it is some type of a reassurance that I am. There, there's a way that I can be contained and it's okay to spill over. Um, there's something that the river shows me about that. And when I think of home, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a fixed, it is a fixed place in the sense that yes, it's, 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 it is it's a place. The Black River does flow through um, where mo- most of this book is set in Plannersville, South Carolina. But there's also this body that's moving into different places And what is that body carrying with them to these different places? And what is it, what is that body bringing back? And um, when I think of the Black River, those are the kinds of questions that this this poem is is trying to explore while also thinking of ancestry in that same way. Uh, What what am I filled with, um, whose voices, whose faces? um, Yeah.
0: Oh, that's such a cool answer. Thank you. I feel like it draws together. Um, so many things that I'm kind of obsessed with thinking about. And, um, you know, I think a lot about that Joan Didion quote, I have already lost touch with, um, so, oh, I'm going to mess it up, but with several persons I have been, or with oh. several of my past selves, like, um, yeah. that there's something and, and whether it's, you know, place or like, self-identity and embodiment, that these things are constantly in flux. Um, And that there's something, I just, I just read Toni Morrison's novel home and that there's some idea of returning to and finding things changed, but finding things still the same that it's like both of those, those works Um. Yeah, I'm gonna have to even just think more about this, but I love I love what you what you've just said about the river and um and and change and home that they're yeah, those are really incredible things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it, it was amazing to me, I think the things that I saw with um, yeah, it felt like having new eyes um Mm. for lack of a better expression in the sense that like I you know I I grew up around this water I grew up around these trees it's it's as if they all of a sudden had a different meaning for me or a different uh meaning's not the right a different um they hit my body differently um Mm. like being in communion with as opposed to um you know, when you're, when you're a kid growing up, it's like, you're learning about, you know, science and nature. And there's this way that you learn about bodies of water and about what's happening around you, but you are the center of it. Mm -hmm. Where, uh, when I came back home, it, it, it felt like I was being introduced and allowed into a world much bigger than what I had been taught to see. And it's like, look at what's reaching for you and do you want to reach back and and yeah it's just been a very powerful return
0: yes I love what you say there about the difference between a child and um I mean there's something yeah there's something about history and understanding and I had another thought but of course it, it fled um <laughs> I'm sorry uh, <laughs> Um, thank you so much for that, though. I just recently have been reading a lot of Octavia Butler, and um, I have very much like a, <laughs> a God is change kind of um, thought process right now. Um, I like really, like when I read it, I feel like when I read Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, I was like, yes, 100% mm. yes um and it's interesting because my partner I was talking to them and they were like no yeah that was the hardest part for me like that I couldn't get on board with that philosophy and I was like are you kidding me (laughs) like I was just like yes so um it's really yeah it's really interesting um and I, I just think about the fact that you know I think I think poets work really well with change and um responding learning how to respond differently to a world that's constantly changing that we do a kind of rebalancing act when we're writing and responding and i mean even thinking about like the image of the river and that it is a thing that is always changing like every molecule the river is constantly changing but we still name it we still call it something it's still Mm -hmm. a place um Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the work you're doing with origin and family and ancestry and place, um, and that those things are, are so inseparable. You can't, you can't parse them. You can't take them apart. You can consider them individually, but they're best considered right together.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: And as soon as I said that, I thought maybe that's too definite um, or too certain sounding. I had a question, which was um, how does your daily work and your profession cross-pollinate with your poetry? Um, And following up on that, are there other cross-pollinations you'd be interested in talking about today?
1: Okay, well, my my daily work right now is going to the page and Mm -hmm. going into the world and when i say that i mean very much like um like travel you know travel it it stopped for quite some time but when i i'm just now getting back into to traveling which very much fuels um my writing mm-hmm. and so a lot of my daily experiences getting up very early um meditating movement of the body um, going out with my dog, Mm -hmm. noticing, paying attention, um, and and really trying to allow myself the space and permission to just do that and just write and be at the page. Because I don't know how long I'll be able to say that I get to come to the page every day. And so I'm, um, yeah, it's important to me to acknowledge that that's not everyone's experience and at the same time it is my experience right now mm-hmm. and even where i'm working they are supportive of me going to the page mm-hmm. so a lot of my healing justice work is what's coming out um, in my own sitting thinking feeling um shifting body and and this work of staying in the body which for me is um a very important thing to name these days, because I think for such a long time, I lived in this space of um, this kind of unhealthy empathy and naming myself as an empath, but not really recognizing how often I would be outside of my body or outside of myself, Hmm. trying to navigate the world, trying to navigate um, others. And as a licensed social worker, a lot of my work Used to be working with children who had survived severe child abuse, um, mm-hmm. reporting in courts, um, working in psychiatric units. So a lot of intense work that that led to, uh, and then also um, dialogues around diversity, equity, inclusion, race, anti-racism, um, and and getting to a place of burn- burnout and um, and then finding myself wondering, uh, wondering and wandering. And so I've stayed with the wondering and wandering because it's helped me to stay in my body.
2: Hmm.
0: That's huge. And I I love that that is part of your bio on the back of your book. Um, Marlanda DeKine is a poet and author obsessed with ancestry, memory, and the process of staying within one's own body. Because that is some that is some really hard work. (laughs) Um and I think Yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear that you meditate every day. Um and I do too. And um figuring out for me, it's been a big deal to figure out whether or not to stay in my body during that time. (laughs) But um Yeah, just being open, like that kind of openness. Um, And frankly, that kind of rest um, is so important during the day. Um, And I, something I really recommend to writers because I feel like we sit around and we think, 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 and we're constantly working and um, creating spaces of rest, I think are also really
1: important. It's extremely important. And I think for a long time, you know, for many reasons, there's so many reasons, there's there's larger systems all around us that don't encourage us to rest, that wouldn't benefit from our rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to, yeah, the more we can claim and make that space for one another, I think the better off we'll be because it's a part of our work that I really feel that way. Um, I know that's a very, you know, you mentioned earlier about saying things with certainty, and I can sometimes come across quite, quite earnest, but mm. I, um, yeah, I, yeah, rest has saved my life. And so I am a big okay. advocate of rest. Yeah.
0: Would you like to read your poem, Thresh and Hold?
1: I'd love to.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
1: Thresh and Hold. Flooding in now, I rest so I can harvest new worlds already net so still. Without rest, I cannot hear my Grandma Lizzie and my Grandma Thelma. Without rest, I cannot hear my Aunt Carolyn composing for her Lord. I cannot hear my Aunt Angie cussing angels while guiding me across memory waters. I am learning what real power is. A year ago, I wouldn't have felt our bright red, black, green cords of spirit calling. Women in my family have dropped dead one day and the family kept right on working. I rest like I have tomorrows, growing on a vine outside. I rest like a horned owl, my aunt Ancestors turned into machines by rice is booming in Georgetown sale extravaganza. I rest beneath my grandma Lizzie's oil dressed magnolia painted white and green at the trunk. I risk surrender to her dark sachet. West Africa caught my granddaddy Silas by the brain. Here's a cosmos I picked from his field of grasses, women in my family have dropped dead one day, purple-gowned and waiting for us in the next.
0: Thank you. That poem just seems so so perfect to be read after we were talking about rest. Um, I love those lines. I rest like I have tomorrows growing on a vine outside. I rest like a horned owl.
2: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And I think, you know, the tie,
0: the tie to family work, um, especially, especially as a a black Southern family is so, so big. And I know there's, you know, that, that's one of I, I'm not an, and I'm not at all um, a scholar from this era, but like Rousseau's classic um, idea of of work and property and and um, owning. You should own the labor of your hands. You should own your work. That that's part of your body. Mm. Um, I think about that a lot. I love that both Paris. I mean, you know, we talked about you, some you're traveling and you're writing and going places but I love that both Paris and James Baldwin feature in Thresh and Hold. Um, And there's something, there's something to me very Southern about having to leave the South and come back and um, to kind of try out for me, I would say like different, different survivals or um, like, there are times you need to go. And then there are times you need to return. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also like, I don't know. It's so wonderful to see, um, you know, because poets do, we cite poets a lot of times, but to see Baldwin appear, who's just such a, a beautiful and poetic writer, um, is is a really cool heritage
1: to trace with your work. Yeah, it, um, it's so interesting how that entire, like when I think about, yeah, so that that happened in a way that, kind of unexpected. I, I was in a space where I was listening to, I would lay on the floor in the dark and listen to James Baldwin's speeches. Hmm. And um, I found them to be very comforting. And also they, they challenged, they were doing something with some part of my thinking brain. It was, it was, a, it was a meditation in and of itself. It, it, hmm. it allowed my, my thinking brain to calm and I could listen to his thinking. And when I, when I, you know, actually, when my body went to Paris, it was actually in this whole idea of kind of chasing the the ghost of of Baldwin, but I I don't think I was conscious of that. Um, I know I typed in Baldwin Poetry MFA, and and then I just went. and it changed the, you know, it changed a lot about where my life was heading at the moment. Um, but, but it made a lot of sense, I think, for, yeah, because he appears almost like, you know, like a distant cousin kind of in the, mm. in the book without me really, you know, tr- I'm not trying to do that. That wasn't the intent. It even felt a little strange to have so much of my own personal ancestry present. And then there is this literary um, lineage or ancestry mm. that reminds me a lot of my grandfather, the preacher, who is also a very difficult character in the book. And so, there's something happening there. I think um, again with this embodiment, there's something happening around, um, I guess, like a the masculine figure. Um, the The missionary figure, the the kind of patriarchal preacher figure, and then there's this liberatory presence that bursts through all of that that I experience when I think about James Baldwin. I think that's why he's showing up, but I still am I'm still curious about what he's doing there. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah, yeah, it's a powerful. And it felt so right in the book um, to invoke Baldwin. And I mean, when I think of Paris Baldwin, you know, he was so young when he went and he was still doing this kind of searching and, you know, I, I just think one of the biggest gifts for writers is the time to write. And so like looking for that space in which he could write looking in. And I mean, it was, it wasn't like he had tons of resources and he went to Paris, right. He basically right. went and he was broke. And so um is kind of a leap of faith too. Um,
2: mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and the power of, I think, listening to someone's voice is huge. And um, I think I grew up in such a tradition where, well, I didn't have access, so it was books or nothing really. Um, Mm -hmm. And then actually going to an MFA and and hearing poets read their work just opened up a totally different facet to me of meaning. And, um, and also kind of worked me away from the only page model, which can be, I don't know, it can be a very white model, it can be a very privileged model, but it can also be a, you know, an isolated from resources model, um, and like child in the library. Yeah. Um, And like, I've just been listening, I've, you know, when I say I'm reading Morrison, I'm listening to Morrison read her novels which it just blows me away that we have that gift of Mm -hmm. of tony morrison reading her novels like her voice is so beautiful and it's helping me process things right now and i think it's giving me company like it's such a it's a it's a weirdly social practice to listen to someone's
1: voice yes
0: and I feel like, mean, you know, my children do this with audiobooks. And I feel like they're so much wiser than I am. And I've just figured this out. And I'm like, that's why during this pandemic, they've been so into their audiobooks because it's also another
1: human presence hmm. to be with. I had not thought about that that way. Um yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I come out of the spoken word community. Hmm. Um where for me, it was, it was you know, and I, and I also slammed. And so memorizing the poem, how does the poem hit the air? How does the poem hit the body? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things were very important. And then when I think back um, just to being a child around my grandparents, especially um, my grandmother, I think her education stopped at eighth grade and so, and my grandfather was a seminary trained, and so his work was always reading, writing, and speaking. Her work was uh, very much like serve, serving others through. Um, she was a cafeteria person, and I, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I, what's coming up for me, is what it was like to hear stories, um, like stories that were told to me and the way they stayed with me as opposed to the stories I read Mm. Um, and I'm also thinking about like while I was in the spoken word community some of the advice I got was like you know don't read books (laughs) which I know is like I I laugh now because I love reading books like it's like one of my favorite things to do now and I Mm. feel so behind in my reading because there were so many years where I was like, don't read because it's going to mess up what I write.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and mm. and I, I just don't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, yeah, no, it, it totally, it fills me up in a, in a different way. Mm. Um, and so I think that this, you know, this kind of false dichotomy between mm-hmm. the page, the stage, yeah. Um, and for a long time, I, I it was something I was interested in. I hosted something called The Page versus the Stage, trying to kind of blend these worlds in an open mic slam setting. And it was really interesting because you did still have page poets kind of in a corner talking, and then Slam Poets kind of in a corner talking. <laughs> mm. and, and I'm hopeful that that's, I, I think, you know, that was years ago. That was probably 10 years ago. And I think that these days I'm seeing, um, yeah, I, I just, I think I see that they know that they are very closely in, intertwined. And I think, you know, we know that before, before writing, we know that there was speaking. And so I think about that a lot.
0: Yes, yes, to all of that. Um that there is, I mean, it's 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 totally a false dichotomy. And yet, I do think about how you can hear and and it seems to be something something in there about when it's, you know, leaning so hard into what a poem looks like on a page, like that privileging of like, sightedness over perhaps and sometimes sound um I think think of like flipping through a Norton anthology when I was younger the way the poems looked yeah it was different than how poems look now um
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and when you read a poet who has a powerful voice on the page and I mean I think Denez Smith was one of the first poets that I read that I was like Oh whoa. Yeah. Like Denez's voice is here on the page. And um now I think of like Tyree Day and I think of Destiny Hempel, whose work I love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um in North Carolina, both both North Carolina poets. Um I always want to drop that, but um in Destiny, of course, has a really um strong, you know, black church connection. And mm-hmm. um, before Destiny will read she pauses a really, I mean, it is like several beats Mm -hmm. and it brings the room into just this incredible kind of reverence Mm -hmm. for what she's about to do. And I, I love that. I mean, it just, I always feel taken to church. Um, And yeah, I think just making, making space for honoring the voice in your work is to me, that's one of the, biggest things a poet can do and it's it's different than just patting someone on the head and telling them to find their voice Mm -hmm. um like it's it's different work and it's self-work um but um I think about that a lot and I mean you have a really a really powerful voice on the page and you have you know your family is part of it you can't separate the speaker and thresh and hold apart from their family even even if it's this family in the storm like in hurricane family
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I should say maybe especially um in that poem closes with while we ran we danced and we leapt." and I'm always thinking about pronouns and you know that that Mm. plural there right the we and your reader doesn't have your readers not like unsure about that like they knew who the we is in the context of that poem and I trust the we so much more when you know who this who it is who they're talking about
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. this actually Mm. brings me to um the pronouns you use
1: in Thresh and Hold
0: did you want to talk a little about the Gulagichi gender neutral pronouns you use?
1: Yeah, so in, in Gulagichi culture, um, well, there's there's a language that when I first moved back here, I was I was six years old um, when my family moved back to where to where uh my parents are from. And I did not understand what my grandparents were saying to me and um, something that I really spent a lot of time um, I guess meditating around and talking to people as well as going to conferences held in the area that are about Gullah Geechee culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to realize that while my grandparents would never say to anyone that they were a Gullah Geechee, or that they, you know, it was not even something they considered, you know, even the idea that I called them black was foreign to them. They were still like, I say, they said colored, and they didn't care who changed it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I think about the pronoun of E and M, it was very, very common to always hear people from where I grew up, saying um it, it wasn't what is he doing what is he what is he doing and where are you going you come back through here you know and and so he she they it, it, it all would be that e mm. um and it's not that they you know I want to be clear this is not in the sense that you know, it's not something that they're saying we, we do not care about gender. It's not, I can't say that for, for them or for mm-hmm. the Logichi culture as a, as a whole. But for me, as someone that's a descendant of these people, I found it very powerful um, to sit with and to realize how, while never feeling at home and she, never feeling fully at home and he. And feeling a lot more comfortable in they and understanding um, these, these multiple selves within me mm-hmm. that this E feels like a place that was made for me that I can sit in and ask questions and be present with. And I think that's what's happening in the book is I'm really trying to explore what it would be like to move with that language um, in this world that, that's, that's present and threshold. Hmm. And, so I, and I guess in, in a sense too, this may be too far, but there is a little bit of fugitivity as well. Um. And and kind of not care. <laughs> There's a part of me that does not care whether someone is upset that I've decided that this is is something that this can be. Um if that makes sense
0: yeah as soon as you said the word fugitivity I um I really love the writer Iris Murdoch and there's always um she uses the word flight a lot and it's all Mm -hmm. over her books and immediately I thought oh is it a flight away from or a flight to yeah or or both Mm -hmm. um and i love what you're saying though about finding the right language for the self that is also part of who you historically are
1: yes, uh,
0: yes. you don't need to go to something that's far away from you or that feels foreign to you or but it's more like about uncovering yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I feel that way about, my mom was named Lisa Marie, but she changed her name to Lee. Mm. And my grandmother was Barbara Jean, but she went by Bobby. Mm -hmm. So when I shortened my name, I liked it because it was more gender neutral and it just, it felt, but it also just felt like it was coming out of my family too, that it wasn't, you know, and it's what my, my siblings have always called me Han. And so it just, you know, it just, it's, I don't know, I self-discovery and figuring out who you are, and it is such a, a daily thing. And, um, but it feels like getting back to who you are too.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a remembering, I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, yeah. Yes, remembering, and it's so beautiful, like listening to what you just shared, I think there's a beauty in, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to romanticize nuclear family connections, but this whole idea of like, um, like someone calling you something that feels very true to you, your whole life, and then all of a sudden you like fit in it.
0: Yeah,
1: there's something very beautiful about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why words are so important. The ones that we, you know, we use with each other. Um, I was, I was reading about like the Gullah Geechee people, which is not, of course is separate from my tradition and how I grew up. Um, and I mean, it's incredible. And I did not know that that's where paint blue came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, when I moved to Durham and I first started hearing the term "haint blue, um, so, and for our listeners, this is, you know, there's a tradition that originated with the Gullah Geechee, which is about painting the roof of your porch, or sometimes the houses, this blue that would keep off, that keep away evil spirits. Um, and I'm sure I'm, I'm being a little reductive there in how I'm even reciting that, but, um, I felt like a really fake Southerner that I didn't know what that was,
2: hmm. and
0: now I'm like, oh no, you're just a white Southerner. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, that makes so much more sense. Um, and it's you know, and um, in fact, the Wikipedia thing was like, um, now white Southerners are painting their porches this color <laughs> and it has lost some of its significance and i was like yeah that sounds about right um it's like oh let's commodify this thing that's not ours right yeah um, but and and i just there's so much amazing southern history that white children don't learn and um yeah the i think I think I'm definitely going to do some more reading and and research, but I think it's like, so it's so beautiful how this language comes out of your book and your family and um, that you bring, I mean, I think some of the work, the historical cultural work that poets do is, is incredible because it's embodied differently on the page Um, that there are like shapes and sounds and I think it really is a different way of learning something when you learn it from a poem. Mm.
1: Yeah, because there, there's so much, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot more to Haint Blue that I intentionally don't, intentionally that I I just don't go into because I I think some, there are, how would I say yeah, there's a certain level of reverence and respect I have for some things that I I am careful that I'm not trying to transmit anything that um what's the word? You know, there are some things that belong to a people for a reason, mm-hmm. and not everything is to be translated um and understood by everyone but when we come into that understanding on our own um by doing the work to get to it that you in a way you know i hate to use the word earn but in a way you've earned it as opposed Mm -hmm. to someone just handing over well this is what this means you know um and there's still and i say that to say that i don't know everything about haint blue i have elders who call me in on a regular basis, you know, about what I think I know and what I think I'm doing, and I appreciate that. And so, um, while while those images kind of appear, I love that in poetry I don't have to explain. Um, it, it it the reader the reader can do some work too if they yes. want. Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, so I just recently spoke with the poet um, Leonard D. Moore yeah. and I asked him a question about Carolina light because I just spoken with another poet about California light and I was really interested you know Leonard Moore's lived in North Carolina his whole life and um, and he didn't he didn't want to answer that question and that was fine and he said no i'd rather people go to my poems and mm-hmm. um i thought how right is that because yes. <laughs> you know that's that it's there um it's there in the poems. i was just thinking when you were speaking about your poem "Homebody," that begins my bones are not just my own mm-hmm. um is that a poem or is there another poem you would like to read now
2: Yeah.
1: Homebody. My bones are not just my own. I feed them honey, oranges, copper, and crystals. I clear my soul. My skeletal holds a mouthful of mundane magic. I come from everywhere. My words go everywhere. The wind always brings me back my first face. A red serpent circles my feet, forming itself into infinity. There, another bloody October moon. I am watching pine trees pick up their roots and walk. This next poem is entitled, Shifting Shape. The shade trees are where I find my brother's body when he's been gone all day long. We have the same smile. When we drink Crown Royal, our uncle's heartbeats slow down inside of our chest. We get silly. Sometimes we are outright mean. I don't know how many of my uncles were found drunk frozen to death beneath an oak or cypress, under branches forgiving as a purple tobacco field. I went to Paris to learn more about poetry so I wouldn't kill myself. I found pine trees, my shadow, and five pints of beer a night, poisonous flowers tending to all the kin I carry inside of me. One night I couldn't walk, so I called an Uber driver who called me Silly American because the metro he dropped me at was around the corner. I learned that in France we were not Black and I was not a sister. I couldn't be seen this way. There were no shade trees to seek. It was the first time I was a single cardinal crossing the Atlantic. I wanted to die so i flew thank you thank you you're welcome
2: here
0: we have flight again and a cardinal um yeah i think it's so good it's so good to hear you you know read the e and uh, aloud and it it does remind me a little bit of Gabby Calvacaresi's poetry um, and when they use a mark, a symbol for their pronoun. Yes. Um, and, and I'm sure if you heard Gabby read those poems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, they do a like a intake, a breath intake, or it almost sounds like a gasp. Um, yeah. Yeah and um i just think about like the different the different ways like you know it's not just it's not language is so much more right like and this is very Wittgensteinian then it's it's more than just a label on a thing right that it's an actual shape and it affects our bodies differently and i think that's something um like we don't we don't really pause and think about that a whole lot that um you know like i think rationally we'll all be like oh yeah language does many things it does more than labeling and yet the way we get labeled all week long by other people Mm -hmm. um and I've just been missed and ma'am to death last month (laughs) it's like I mean I just it's um and you know I never want to make someone stay harder by being like please don't like when it's at a doctor's office or whatever like obviously they've got enough on their plate um, but it is, it is really good to know you have people that will get your language right and that know your name. And yeah. um, I actually asked a friend of mine um, who's non-binary, and I said, you know, what do you do when you've been aggressively gendered like all week? And they said that they asked their partner to um, kind of affirm their pronouns more and using it. And I was like, that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Asking someone just be like, hey, can you just call me what you know what I what I'm asking to be called what I am? Um extra, like do that extra loving work. Yeah.
2: Um yeah, yeah.
0: And I don't know, that somehow feels very tied to your sh- shifting shape poem and your um home body. Which is uh, in the title of that poem, Home and Body Are Slightly Separated.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is, um, I think, the, the longer I sit with, like I, I keep sitting with the poems and, you know, letting them kind of talk to me. And the more I sit with, with that one in particular and think about why it's home and then body. I, I think is um there's something about well, I mentioned it earlier, but the the body being taken to different places and what happens when the body returns um and I, I think that poem is an exploration of that, but using you know there's just <laughs> there images, but it, it's an ex- exploration of what it is for this body to go and come back and to go and come back um yeah yeah and what we do to the body whenever we are are trying to escape the body or um you know there's an exploration of that as well um so so yeah yeah
2: yeah
0: that's making me it's it's making me want to be more in my body (laughs) (laughs) Because there is something, you know, and I mean, you know, a very like shallow level. Even dissociation can feel like such a little a mini vacation sometimes. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah. You can
0: feel like you're getting ease, um, but just leaving. And um, yeah, that's that's encouraging to me. I think to hear, and I love that you mentioned that, like. Because sometimes it can feel like if your poem is printed and it's in a book and it's bound, it can almost be like um, the umbilical cord has been snipped or something and it's now its own thing and you can't touch it or live in it anymore. Or So I really appreciate you kind of talking about, still thinking about your poems, right? That that are, you know, these poems are going out into the world in March, right? They're in their books, they're printed, um but I do appreciate that because I, I you know having a book out myself now yeah. I, it's a weird it's a weird thing to have them outside your body
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and I want to I, I'm not so much going back like out of one it isn't like a revision going back but it's mm-hmm. almost like it's the same thing as going back to like my journals and my notebooks like I'll, you know, I'll write mm-hmm. something last week or record something in my phone a week ago. And it's like, who did that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's that kind of, um, yeah, like, like mm-hmm. letting the layers peel off in front of me, Yeah, which, which is, a, you know, it's not always a pleasant experience, but mm-hmm. it is helping me. It's, it goes back to self embodiment, which is my kind of my personal connection to why I'm writing. Um, and so for me, it's, it's a part of my, my, uh, mm, I guess my understanding of my ever evolving self, because I, you know, tomorrow, who will I be, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. No, it's, and it's something about like, again, like the knowing or the knowledge that's in poems, it's, it can be like it's almost coming from somewhere else. Um, I mean, it's almost like you know you mentioned journaling. It's almost like that when like that when you journal, you're not just this isn't in my experience. It's not like you're just journaling what you know. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes you do not know what is going what you're going to write. And sometimes I'll go back through something I've written and like I will shock myself, or I'm like, I wrote that. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. and so it's like. That there's something there that we don't quite know how it works, and they can like study the brain and image the brain, and but there's still there's just there's knowing in the body that we don't know we know, and so that's why writing can be really helpful for bringing it out of us.
1: Yeah, I in the in workshops that I teach, a big part of it is automatic writing. Um, some people will use words like channeling, and I mm-hmm. I realize I only the only reason why I hesitate to say channeling is I, I just don't want anyone to like walk up to me and think I'm gonna tell them something about their future. Mm-hmm. Like, I I do feel that there's, you know, spirit at play in the sense that when I am putting pen or pencil to paper and I refuse to let it come up for however long, meaning that whatever comes up into my brain, you know, those kinds of things, I'm almost, I'm just letting the pen move and move and move and move. And I edit and revise later, sometimes, you know, years or months later. And when when that's the case, I do think that you know, the word I use is spirit. I don't know what words other people might use, but there is something bigger than me coming through mm-hmm. um, that that's showing me something or nudging me in a particular direction or guiding me away from somewhere I think I'm supposed to go. Like, I think I'm supposed to write about this. Um, which, you know, coming out of slam, because my goal was to win a slam, I would be writing to win. I mm-hmm. I knew you know, and I I wouldn't say I was like a really great slam poet at all, but in the sense of um, trying to like play off of what I think the audience wanted to hear, when and where, when will I get the ooze, When will I get the ahs? When will people gasp? All of that, I was planning while writing. And so the automatic writing space turns a lot of that off. Mm. And what comes out is not something that I'm after. It's something that's after me,
2: yeah.
1: and that changes the entire experience for me. And it's something that I, I kind of chase it. I love it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just saw something on Twitter this morning. Someone was saying that shifting from the perspective that you know your writing is a product to your writing is a practice.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: completely changes like your orientation and and you know like when it's a practice you have space for rest because you need that you 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 acknowledge like oh i'm gonna need to rest if i'm going to have energy for this thing every day or frequently or faithfully or or whatever that looks like um and when it's a product it's just like product and being productive drives you Mm -hmm. um and I think that's something I feel throughout your whole book, Thresh and Hold, that it's about presence and voice and family. It's not, it's not at all. Your, your poems are not interested in being products. Um, and, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Please take that as a compliment because I, I mean it as one. Um, is there a poem you would like to close us out with?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll close out with, huh, I'll let you choose. Is there a poem that you, Mm -hmm. is there? Okay, yeah, is there a poem that you have in mind?
0: No, I've been making special requests. Oh, did you want to end with my Black, rural, queer childhood? Oh,
1: yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that back. Thank you. My Black... Rural queer childhood. I want my body, but I don't want it to be called a body. Reminds me of when my family and I were driving through Manning, South Carolina. I was the first to see the big black sound, the buzzing in all our ears. I'd never heard of a horse fly. I just knew it was big. I screamed. And our big brown caravan stopped at a triangular median, smack dab in the middle of a small downtown road. I screamed. The horsefly buzzed and smacked itself into the wide windows of blue sky. I don't remember. I can spot a single ant on a dark surface. Maybe I've been afraid to claim my body, afraid to be wild and break out into all this sky. Around me, perhaps I can burst through ceilings and glass, explode into joy.
2: Thank you. This poem
0: almost feels like a cone or a parable or, I mean, it's, I love how indirect it is mm. um, and that it's not a strictly narrative or it's not going to give your reader um answers necessarily or um that it's doing its work slant wise i think Mm.
2: Mm.
0: not the the horsefly
2: that's a good poetic image
1: thank you han
0: yeah, thank you so much for reading it. It's so beautiful to hear it in your voice. Um, and, you know, when I first time I read this poem's title, I think I, I felt my whole heart, like, start and, like, kind of jump back because I, I think it's literally the opposite of my childhood. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and I know, like, part of queerness is doing reclamation work. For time that you feel like you kind of lost in a way um and so like kind of reclaiming reclaiming parts of your childhood and going back and and thinking through like you know what was I like then when I you know because I know how I was told to be and I know how I was gendered and I know like you know hardcore gendering in my family um to the point where I got, I think it was only like a year ago or something that I said to my mother I was like mom when you made us wear skirts like that was never about modesty that was just entirely about gender enforcement yeah and she said oh yes I know I loved that <laughs> <laughs> I was like whoa okay <laughs> I guess honesty um but you know it's it's sorting through reasons you were given that's um uh-huh that's memory like- work too
1: it is it is
0: mm. thank you for this poem that ends explode into joy
1: mm-hmm. yep that's that's yeah i know it's there as a question but it's definitely um you know when sometimes i'll do like a meditation and um one, you know, it'll be one of those cheesy ones. That's like, what's your intention? Your mantra for to And I'm like, joy, 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 joy.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. I know. That's great. Um, I feel like I'm very suggestible. Um, and I think it comes from a certain kind of openness, but meditations can, can work really well for me because when someone tells me to do something, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know also a problem with external validation and, and yeah. authority
1: but i <laughs> hate i relate, I relate. Uh,
0: thank you so much for being here with me today and um, braving our audio which was trying to leave us um, and it has been a real pleasure and um, i just want to remind our readers that you can check the show notes and you can find a link to pre order Marlanda DeKind's Thresh and Hold from Hub City Press. And I really encourage you to support small presses for when you purchase your books. Um, that really matters. And also, there'll be links to Marlanda's work and website there as
2: well. Thank you so much for listening.